The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, April 3rd, 2023, as today is the Chicago White Sox home opener. As the San Francisco Giants come into town from New York, Thanks to Mother Nature, we already have a time change for the home opener as it's been bumped from 3.10 p.m. Central Time to 2.10 p.m. Central Time as some rain will be coming through the south side of Chicago later that Monday evening. So if you are going to the game, make sure you are not arriving at Guarantee Rate Field at 3.10 p.m. Central Time. The game might be in the fourth inning if you do so. The White Sox are coming home from Houston 2-2. Two and two which, as we talked about in our previous episode, is a great result, splitting the four-game series against the Astros. There were many highlights and lowlights from Houston. We'll be breaking those down in this episode while we also preview the upcoming series against the San Francisco Giants. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And Jim, a series split in Houston after, in the previous podcast episode, we talked about how the White Sox lost eight of their last nine games in Houston. I think that's a great outcome for the White Sox. How do you feel about the White Sox after the first four games? I would say it's a good outcome, not a great outcome, just because they could have won three of four, or they could have won, uh, basically, you know, they they could have swept uh, had they played their cards a little differently. Like, obviously, the Astros are the defending champions, so you can't, like, assume sweep. You can't assume that every early lead will hold up, but they... Yeah, I'm not sure you can say they outplayed the Astros, but they, yeah, I would say for, I would say if, if, if you're counting the innings in which the White Sox outplayed the Astros, you would say, yeah, they outplayed them. Just happened to be that the Astros had a few bigger innings, had a few uh, uh, more two out hits that really just prevented the White Sox from being able to close the door. That almost happened the ninth inning uh, in, in game four on Sunday. So, uh, you know, it, it wasn't a. It was a split decision, split series, uh, but the White Sox could have done better. So I would take that ultimately as like a good series, good enough series. And there are some signs for optimism if you're willing to uh, be glass half full. And there are some, you know, early, 
uh, areas of worry if you're naturally uh, predisposed to being somebody who thinks the uh, sky is going to fall eventually. Well, good news for you. Either party, we're going to touch on both sides of the glass in this episode. So we're going to start with the good, as uh, we want to, you know, continue the positive vibes after the weekend in Houston. And I think a great place to start off what went well for the White Sox. And we talked about how if this season was going to be any different from 2022, the White Sox needed two players in particular to be much better than their versions last year. And that was Yon Makata and Yasmani Grandal. And they had very good weekends, Jim. And they showed signs of life. Like, we're seeing Yoan Makata carry on his World Baseball Classic performance with him to Houston. And Yasmani Grandal looks re-energized as he even did, I thought, a pretty good job blocking behind home plate as well. He was moving better. So they both look like they're healthy. Makata and Dusty Baker, the Astros manager, gave Makata a lot of credit saying that we could not get this guy out. Makata was 8 for 18 against the Astros with three doubles and two home runs, so five extra base hits and four RBIs. Yasmani Grandal was 5 for 12 in the series with a double and a home run. That home run tied the game on opening day, and that was late. The White Sox needed their bats to come alive in 2023, Jim. After the first series, they are most definitely alive. Yeah, I think Makata is where it starts just because like when he got thrown out at third, trying to stretch that double into a triple and because it was ESPN, because it was just a, I think partially these uh, new broadcasts dealing with the pitch clock and the constraints, like we didn't get a good replay of just what exactly you know he was picking up uh what the timing was in terms of like where he was when Kyle Tucker picked up the ball but like he was running hard out of the box he went hard into the third was barely thrown out um got up and returned to the dugout with no you know at least that I could see based on the camera angles like no real wincing no you know the energy was there even after the game Griffal said like you know I want our players to be aggressive. Uh, you know, there's a you know line to, uh, to to mind in terms of just you know, being reckless, but in terms of like being thrown on a bang bang play, where you're running hard out of the box and, and running hard all the way through seconds, rounding hard, uh, going in hard to third base, like he said, he would take that error. And to me, like just the fact that he had those legs in the first place made me think like, oh, this is this is World Baseball Classic Moncada. This is a guy who's just not afraid to exert himself and then uh yeah just the, the the power started picking up the uh you know using the Crawford boxes was nice like it's you know whenever somebody uh a left-handed hitter especially hits a cheap homer to right field it guaranteed right field I was thinking like why are they using the White Sox park against them like that seems unfair and then you so you see when you see like a couple shots go in the Crawford boxes like yeah that's what you want to see like if, if you're the White Sox doing just exactly that just redirecting the ball uh 330 feet and like two rows up into uh uh, to where the Twitter account Wooded Dong says it's the only park it'd be counted as a homer in. Like, that's what you want to see, like, uh, when you have a weird park like that. So, yeah, I mean, like, great early returns and just the the physical tools seem there. Like, the he's getting the bat around on fastballs, pulling the ball into right field. He's running as hard as he can and, and doing that over and over again. Smiling in the dugout, matching his uh, uh, hydration bottles to his... Uh, armor and his, uh, you know, <laughs> like wrist padding. Like he's got everything. Go- he's got everything going right now. <laughs> right, the the neon green cleats with the neon green body armor. Opening day, it was yellow, yellow cleats with the yellow body armor. As you touched on the the watch party that we had on opening night, 
Uh, it's nice to see some color when the White Sox are wearing their road grays. Speaking of the opening day watch party, that was by far and away, far and away our largest watch party ever Mm -hmm. on playback. So thank you guys so much for participating. We'll be having another watch party. We'll be having a few in the month of April. We'll let you know when the next one's coming up, but thank you to everyone that joined with us over a hundred people. Uh, consistently were with us in the watch party on opening day. That was a lot of fun. Yasmani Grandal, we knew and we speculated while watching him perform in spring training that the shift ban could benefit Grandal. And I think some of his hits that he had in this series, Jim, very clearly demonstrated in how the shift ban is going to assist Yasmani Grandal, at least picking up on some more singles. And for him to go 5-for-12 in the series, especially batting towards the bottom part of the lineup here, he's getting these rallies continuing here. It just seemed like from the White Sox, unlike the Houston Astros lineup, where when you got to the bottom part of the lineup because of injuries, you weren't afraid of them. They were doing a good job in drawing up the the pitch count, and they were doing a good job in getting on base via the walk. So I'll give the Astros part of the bottom part of the lineup that credit. They were finding ways to get on base, but they weren't scaring you as far as putting the ball in play. Here, when you got Grandal hitting the way that he did and the way Mikata was hitting as well in the middle of the lineup, it seemed like White Sox could at least build up a continuous attack through the lineup. And Grandal is a big part of that. Yeah, I just think the drawback is like when Grandal hits singles and he has to run right. 270 feet. And we saw that come up with just you know, a, a double, you know, not being able to score him. You know, him and Andrew Vaughn going back to back in the lineup, I don't necessarily like because it seems like uh, the the base paths get a little bit stationary. But yeah, I mean, like he was moving better. I, I think it allows him to get his better swing off uh, when he knows that he can, if he pulls the ball on the ground, it still might go through. Uh, so like it, it allows him to just, you know, try to hit with power still in the singles or accidents, which I think is what you want versus, uh, like a trying to beat the shift approach to where like you, you know, try to hit a dink ground or the left side because nobody's there. Like, you know, you get the singles because you're trying your hardest to, to actually do damage. So I think that's what you want. And also like Sebi Zavala, you know, coming in and hitting a homer, like the catcher tandem right now, uh, both, you know, both parts of it, uh, we're, we're doing their jobs. And I think that's kind of the goal here with the White Sox, given that Grandal's in the last year of his deal is like, it's great if Grandal plays well, but you know, going uh, past 2023, you kind of want an idea of like, what can Sebi Zavala offer in the event that, you know, Grandal is gone and Carlos Perez isn't really a thing. And Zavala right now is your best, you know, option for playing time. What can he do? And so far he's uh, making my over bet for his uh, 10 homers look pretty good with at least, uh, you know, if he hits one every series, he'll be in good shape. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, he smashed that one. That was an absolute no-doubter. The, the brick wall stopped it at 389 feet. That would have easily went 400-plus at guarantee rate field. That was not a cheapie for Sebi Zavala. Also, a shout-out to Tim Anderson leading off for the White Sox. He was 7-for-18 in the series. He had three straight multi-hit games. He had a hit in every single game in the series. He had two doubles, two walks. That's, that's what you want to see from your leadoff hitter. For the White Sox lineup. So that's the good part offensively. Moving over to the pitching side. And the White Sox starting pitching. This is where I had a concern when we talked about. And previewing the series. That I did not want to see the bullpen. 
take on 20 innings of this series over four games? Well, the White Sox starters ease that fear. They were fantastic. Started with Dylan Cease, 10 strikeouts, no walks. Dylan Cease, 10 strikeouts, no walks over six and a third innings. He allowed one earned run, which was actually scored off an Aaron Bummer wild pitch, so he wasn't in the game for that. Lance Lynn had one of his best outings in Houston in a long time, five and two-thirds innings, three hits, two earned runs allowed, six strikeouts, four walks. Lucas Giolito was getting babbled to death in the first inning, but he recovered very nicely to go five innings, five hits allowed, three runs, only two earned, one walk, six strikeouts. And Mike Clevenger went five scoreless innings against Houston, only allowed three hits, walked three, and he struck out eight as he was able to maintain his fastball velocity. The White Sox starters covered 22 of the 36 innings in this series. They had a cumulative 2.05 ERA, a 0.95 whip, and a 167 batting average against them. Jim, that level of performance from those four starting pitchers or just the overall starting pitching unit in a series, that will work almost every series the White Sox play. Pretty much. Like, I think you just want to see one more inning, like, you know, going five, 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 or, you know, in, in like, you know, Lynn's case, not being able to close out the sixth. Cease, you know, I imagine like a couple starts from now, Cease will be in a, able to finish the seventh inning with the kind of stuff he was throwing. You know, it just takes a little bit of time to build up. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, they were attacking the zone for the most part. Like Clevenger got away a little bit with Rocky control, like three walks. He also plunked two batters. So like, you know, there's a, a, a fair amount of traffic on the base paths, but he did have the fastball velocity, as you mentioned, which um, allowed him to keep it simple and be fastball slider and, and, and get through it, uh, which is basically the, his uh, most direct path to being his old self again. So yeah, that worked out as well. So, so far so good. We'll see if, yeah, Michael Kopech, uh, uh, can can maintain this streak or whether he has to buy everybody beers because he only throws three and a third, um, you know, going by bowling <laughs> rolls. We'll see how it goes. But I mean, like that's, yeah, for the opening series and seeing some of the uh, seeing some of the line scores around baseball, uh, just of, uh, you know, early implosions and, you know, some pitch clock struggles. And JT Real Muto said that uh, he was out of breath, uh, you know, catching back there and, and, and trying to manage the Philly stars. Like there have been some uh, some early crises uh, in, in some games, just uh, with uh, pitchers laboring early and then just you know still ha- not being able to slow themselves down, and we saw that happen with Reynaldo Lopez late in the game on Sunday. But uh, the White Sox were able to you know pretty much avoid that entirely and uh, kept it pretty simple. Yeah, as a unit, the White Sox starting pitchers had 30 strikeouts to just eight walks against the Houston Astros. This is a Houston Astros team that's very difficult to strike out. They pride themselves in not striking out that often and creating a lot of stress on starting pitchers to work into deep counts. And all four for the White Sox, Cease, Lynn, Gilito, and Clevenger did a fantastic job just kind of running down the list on things that impressed me. Cease that curveball. My Lord, Jim. We talked about it during the watch party. The fastball and slider are elite pitches. That curveball is borderline unfair for hitters that six mile per hour difference between his slider. And because on the ESPN broadcast, you had the umpire view. So you got these great looks of cease with the strikeouts and seeing the difference between the slider and curveball. You don't have a prayer as a hitter, no matter what video and scouting reports that you have, you don't have film of ceases curveball. So early on, 
I think it's a maybe it's too high of a bar to expect him to have ten strikeouts each outing. Mm-hmm. But if he's on point with this curveball, Jim, I don't know. Opposing hitters just don't have a chance against Dylan Cease if he is on point like he was against Houston in his next start against San Francisco. Like I feel bad for Giants hitters already, and they haven't even gotten to Wednesday to play that game. Well, he even impressed himself. Like after the game, he said that that was you know maybe the best he'd ever thrown, and that even goes back to the game against the uh, or the the near no hitter he threw mm-hmm. uh, last year against the Twins. So he was even feeling it to a degree that he did not expect. And you know when he can throw that curveball like that, and you know watching the game on the playback, we we're talking about like, wow, he's throwing a lot of sliders early. Is he scared of his fastball? And then the fastball is hitting like ninety seven, ninety eight. It's like, oh, fastball's good. Oh, curveball's good. And just kind of you know, pressing like you know, the, the you know, literal and figurative buttons, just like, oh, I'll, throw, I'll start this one off the curveball. Oh, I'll start this one off the fastball. Like just basically able to throw any of those three pitches at any time for strikes or not strikes, if that's what it what called for it. And the changeup, which I, I've always felt is kind of a novelty pitch, like a you know, 20 mile per hour difference and I always expect to get clobbered and never quite does. Like, I think he knows he's riding a fine line with it. And so he never really stresses it too much, but that wasn't really, I mean, he didn't give that any consideration at all just because the other pitches were so good. So yeah, I'm not sure whether he can, you know, summon this form with any regularity because it's, you know, if it's the best he's ever looked like, is that something that happens once a year in terms of having all three pitches at his disposal, uh, whether for strikes or, uh, you know, very good misses, um, but if it is, I mean, that's basically like a Cy Young winner. That's like, yeah, that's what Pedro Martinez did every time, you know, when he isn't with his Boston peak and that's what Greg Maddox did. Like, I mean, that's, you're, you're talking about like hall of famers when they can do that every single time. So that's, that's a high bar, but I mean like that form was elite. It was. And he got high praise from Dusty Baker after the game. Baker said that was one of the best pitching performances that he's seen against one of his teams. And Dusty Baker's been managing, a lot of games, Lance Lynn against lefties, the slider was working, still a work in progress, but it's better than just show me status right now. So it helped out Lynn. Giolito, the slider, that was the best that the slider has looked at a long time for Giolito. And the fastball velocity, he was hitting 94 miles per hour frequently. So the weight loss, I, I think, helped Giolito looked more like himself. The Astros, the, the exit velocity numbers in that start, it, it felt like Giolito was facing the Cleveland Guardians. Like, they were not hitting him hard in the first inning. Nothing registered as hard hit contact. But the Astros were hitting them where the White Sox ain't. And they got four singles. They scored two runs. But Giolito, like I mentioned, was able to recover uh, very nicely, get through five. And Mike Clevenger... If his fastball lives in the strike zone and he throws it down the middle, he's going to give up home runs. But if he's able to locate like he did against Houston in the upper left corner, upper right corner against righties and lefties and able to pinpoint it to the bottom part of the zone, then it's hard to punish him with that type of fastball. And it tunnels a lot better with his slider. He's been known to have this curveball in his career. But this is where... Clevenger's throwing a lot of different pitches at opposing hitters, Jim. And if he's throwing 95, 96, a lot of these innings are 20 plus pitch innings. I'm not crazy about that, but if he is going to be like this four or fifth starter for the white Sox, and if he's going to go five innings in each outing, I guess you accept the fact if he's going to go scoreless in those five innings and strike out eight, that is an acceptable result. I mean, yeah, we're talking about like a fourth, fifth starter and really, you know, when it comes to that role, 
Um, it's more about health, more about being able to take the ball, able to give five plus innings, uh, six innings, great, but five innings being able to turn the calendar over without a disaster occurring and, and when wasting the bullpen is, is really paramount. So I think he was fine. You know, like you, the results are better than fine, but in terms of just the, uh, you know, the mild inefficiencies and the, uh, little bit of uh, wildness, I think like his misses were good in terms of like limiting damage. Um, you know, which I think is what you want because like, yeah, as you mentioned, his fastball kind of got, got crushed last year, especially as the season went on. So Alex Bregman, uh, 0 for 16 with uh, seven strikeouts this series. The White Sox worked I think him Dylan over. Dylan Cease broke him. Maybe. That'd be cool. Or Marky Mark did. <laughs> yeah, Marky Mark introducing Alex Bregman or calling him out on opening day. No, I... Alex Bregman had zero clue in what to do with Dylan Cease, and that just carried on for the entire series. Like, the White Sox did an excellent job against Alex Bregman. But there are some things the White Sox do need to improve upon because there are some hitters they did not do a very good job against when it comes to the Houston hitters. And we'll discuss those items next after a quick word from our sponsor. Kick off the new year with new gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customable snow glasses, and much more. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair you've worn. Durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. And that's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair. No questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after you purchase. With Shady Rays, you can look good and feel good. To date, they have donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. If you don't love them, exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. I actually have three pairs from Shady Rays because they just look awesome and I'm very picky about my sunglasses. Sometimes I like to match my sunglasses with my outfit. I can be that way. And exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com and use promo code SOCKSMACHINE for 50% off two pairs of polarized sunglasses. Again, that's ShadyRays.com, promo code SOCKSMACHINE. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, we talked about the good for the White Sox. Let's talk about the areas that they need to improve upon in their next upcoming series. And for the White Sox, Jim, the number one with a big bullet, the bullpen. This surprised me. The bullpen is a unit, and I do not want to scare you, for our listeners, away from this podcast. The numbers that I'm about to read are incredibly ugly. The White Sox bullpen in this series, 12 innings pitched, 16 hits allowed, 11 earned runs, 10 walks, 11 strikeouts. That's an 8.25 ERA, a 2.17 whip, and the Astros hit 320 against the White Sox relievers. As I mentioned when we talked about the starting pitchers, Jim, that type of performance from the starting pitchers works almost every time for every series. This bullpen performance is the opposite. Mm Mm-hmm. What's going on here with the relievers? 
Well, I would say the most uh, optimistic or uplifting explanation is just small sample, especially like when it came to like Joe Kelly and Aaron Bummer, like two guys who, you know, like Bummer was thrown to a high leverage situation when he came in, uh, you know, and, and thinking about him last year and thinking about like how he had a slow start to spring training because of the lat injury, I was thinking like, oh, we nice give him a low leverage appearance and just low leverage appearances for the bullpen were hard to come by. And to me, it's just, you know, looking at uh, all those appearances, like just kind of struck me as like, man, it would be nice to, you know, have the White Sox trailing by like five runs just to get these, you know, allow like Gregory Santos to come in and not really have to worry about like giving up two runs or, you know, like giving up a, like Reynaldo Lopez in, in the first game, giving up that 442 foot homer to uh, Jordan Alvarez, like uh bad result, but at least like, you know, he was attacking a guy who couldn't tie the game. So I kind of like that, but just, you know, as you go on and you have, you have like, you know, five innings to cover and some of these guys are young. Some of these guys have been hurt. Some of these guys coming off very uneven seasons. I just, you know, I almost wish the White Sox were blown out of one just to be like, oh, get your feet wet. And if you happen to uh, give up three singles in a row or, um, you know, give up a, a Titanic homer, it doesn't matter. You just got your first game in. So part of it was like that, just like watching these guys, you know, operate with a very thin margin for error. And I think also a little bit is just the hierarchy still being established with Liam Hendricks out. You know, it's funny watching the uh, middle games of the series. I thought uh, maybe they're trying to take the stress off Pedro Griffal by not getting save situations to ninth inning. And then you can't really worry about the closer too much. The games aren't getting there, but just, I, I think when you have like Liam Hendricks there, then you don't have to save a reliever for the end uh, that normally might come in in previous, um, you know, years, administrations, what have you. But with, you know, I guess uh, Lopez is the closer now and they've they've communicated that well enough. But uh, still wonder, like, just with Hendricks out, whether there is a little bit more chaos in terms of just how high leverage and medium leverage situations are doled out mm. uh, when, you know, start of the season and just trying to, you know, get guys involved uh, with the first series of the season. There's been a lot of second guessing regarding Pedro Grafal. And I've even gone on Twitter and I, and I first guessed like there was a situation games tied three, three Kyle Tucker's up to bat and Grafal went to Jose Ruiz. And I like that move because as I saw in the world baseball classic, that's how Venezuela used Ruiz. He's got this power changeup That's 90, 91. It was able to get Juan Soto out in a really critical spot between Venezuela and the Dominican Republic. Let's see if it works here. And on a full count changeup that fell off the table below the strike zone, Kyle Tucker hit it at an exit velocity of 71 miles per hour and it landed softly. Like he couldn't throw it any better to right field to land for a single. And Ruiz ends up losing that battle. The Astros take the lead. Ruiz gets off kiltered and he starts an exit and gives up a couple more base runners. And he doesn't look good. And there's a lot of White Sox fans that don't have confidence at all in Jose Ruiz and high leverage situations. And my retort to that is, who do you have confidence right now? Because as you mentioned, Jim, Alex Bregman was not very good against the White Sox. The White Sox do not have an answer right now against an mm -hmm. elite left-handed batter in high leverage situations. Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker, I didn't even bother looking up the stats against the White Sox bullpen because I feared like their batting average was a thousand. 
There was just no way the White Sox got those guys out unless Luis mm-hmm. Robert made a Superman catch out in center field. Yeah. They just did not have an answer for Alvarez. They don't have an answer for Tucker. I do not know what Jake Diekman's role is in this bullpen. If you can't count on him to get lefties out. And I know they have to be careful with Aaron Bummer because of the whole lat situation. That's what worries me moving forward is, yeah, the the Mm -hmm. ninth inning shenanigans with Ronaldo Lopez, that does scare me. But you got to get to the ninth inning. It's hard to get to the ninth inning when you got runners on first and second. And let's say this upcoming series against the Giants, which we'll preview in a moment, Jock Peterson's coming up to bat. Who are you calling out of the bullpen to face Peterson? And as of this moment, I've got no clue, Jim. I don't know how Mm -hmm. Grafal could have any confidence with what he saw out of Houston from these guys. Like, no one covered themselves in glory against Houston. Yeah, I think if I were to go back and look at the, you know, pitcher switches, I think I'd really only have qualms with using Kendall Graveman on back-to-back days uh, right away. Rather yeah, than fair. like using Joe Kelly for, um, even though you know Kelly had his, his own, uh, yeah, his results weren't great. Just you know, we know Graveman isn't great on back-to-back days. No real reason to do it out of the gates when some guys haven't pitched yet. So I, I didn't like that one. Also, like as you mentioned, Deekman against lefties. Like I think Deekman is going to get. I don't think he's going to last the season. Uh, I feel like we could is put he it, make it a Memorial Day. Yeah, so it's like it'd be interesting <laughs> to set like a date. Maybe that's the over/under date on just uh, how long he lasts, just because. You know, that to me, that trade was a mistake when it was made. And, you know, that's a case where I didn't like I, I didn't first guess it. I I, I guess I would say I, I second guessed it just because like the day after the trade, as I was writing about more and I realized like, oh, he's on the hook for next year. Oh, he's like oldest reliever they have. Uh, like, oh, I don't like this at all. So, I mean, like I went from like, you know, kind of being indifferent to being like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> so I'm not sure if that counts as first guessing or not. But either way, it felt like a mistake. Uh, that soon to where like he hadn't even done anything and I, I was calling it wrong. And, uh, you know, it's one they're going to have to wear. Like Tanner Banks is there. And even though Tanner Banks is reverse splits because uh, his changeups his best pitcher, you know, he, he goes to soft stuff. He's probably a better guy to have in this bullpen uh, than Diekman. But those are the two I kind of look at and say like, oh, I don't, you know, Graveman still on back-to-back days walking Martin Maldonado for no good reason. You know, flipping the lineup over. The walks were the big concern yeah. for me just you know especially against the bottom of the order Lopez did the same thing in the in you know against uh, their like Houston's third catcher it's uh it, not what you want to see in terms of just like uh game awareness of this is a guy you absolutely can't walk because like why would you want Jeremy Pena to come on with a runner on if you know Maldonado didn't hit his way on etc so that's why I'm hoping you know when you look at this next series against San Francisco just uh how many strikes did they throw how many guys do they walk and and probably you know as the sample gets larger, I would hope that like walks are one of the first things to uh, uh, trend towards normal uh, because you know everything else might take a while to iron itself out when it comes to just you know small samples for individual relievers and Griffal still figuring out how to use these guys. And this is quickly on how a rookie manager can look clueless though managing games is that whenever you go to the bullpen. If every time you go to the bullpen, disaster happens, well, then it looks like you have no idea on how to manage the bullpen. Mm-hmm. But I'm sorry. These guys are veterans. These guys are well-paid, some of them. Like, do your job. I think 
To Aaron Bummer's credit, Aaron Bummer and Jimmy Lambert were the only relievers to not allow an earned run, even though Bummer threw a wild pitch that gave the earned run to Dylan Cease. I think Aaron Bummer was the only one that had a 1-2-3 inning for the White Sox bullpen mm. out of four games. <laughs> like that's Oh, that is that is not good. No one is covered, covering themselves in glory here. Like These veterans, they got to step up. Okay, like I I get it. You're we're all hoping that Liam Hendricks comes back, but you got to get the ball to Liam Hendricks. He is the ninth inning guy. Some of you are still going to be in these same exact situations. So let's show some consistency here. Let's have some shutdown innings these next couple of weeks because I am very afraid if this team makes the postseason and we're a long way from that, and they face the Astros. I got no idea when there's runners on first and second and Jordan Alvarez is coming up, who you even go to you. Maybe you just go to Hendricks in the seventh inning and just pray for the best. Uh, Cause it just absolute disaster. That's how the white Sox lost these two games against the Astros late. It's just that they didn't have an answer for Alvarez and Tucker and it blew up in their face. I'm really surprised Alvarez didn't pinch hit. I am on too. Sunday. I am too. I, they said there's something with his hand, but it looked like in the camera shot at NBC Sports Chicago, he was asking Dusty Baker, you want me to grab a bat? Mm-hmm. I, I would fine have been afraid. Me. Yeah, fine by <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah. Sit down. Stay down. Yeah, no Stay kidding. down. <laughs> no kidding. I, I don't even want to talk about... The only thing I want to talk about in the ninth inning of the game that the White Sox won on Sunday, I don't even want to get into the disengagements and just how it looked like Ronaldo Lopez was having a meltdown, not having a meltdown, just like the new rules were just flustering him. That was one of Luis Roberts' best catches, and he also made a phenomenal catch earlier in the series to rob Kyle Tucker. Poor Kyle Tucker had two doubles taken away from him in this series because Luis Robert made a sensational catch at the wall, and being able to run full speed and locating the ball sliding and making that catch is just world-class athlete body control. Like it just amazed me that Luis Roberts was able to make that catch and probably save the game for the white Sox. Well, sliding, uh, negotiating Andrew Benintendi also closing in and leaping over him. The, the thing that impressed me, uh, was that I don't think he needed to slide. I think he, well, I think he slid just to avoid crashing into the wall. But like in terms of when you watch like him, you know, where his glove caught the ball, like I think he'd have caught that standing up and, and you know, just kept running through the catch. Uh, just the speed is back. The elite speed, like 30 feet per second. Uh, he did that with his infield single uh, in the opening game. He uh, you know, was able to go to right center, as you mentioned on Tucker, go to left center with that catch. Uh, Tucker... I think it was Andrew Benintendi, right? He robbed with a catch the wall yes. in right field. So it's like, the yeah, Robert took that personally. And yeah. <laughs> just like, if, if I can, you know, if, if you, you take one of uh, mine, I'll take two of yours. It's kind of how yeah, I had that approach to Cal Tucker. But yeah, the, the speed is back. And here's hoping it stays because that makes all the difference in terms of him being like an elite outfielder versus him being an okay center fielder, which is basically what he's been. Uh, the last year or two, uh, you know, he hasn't been gold glove form because he just doesn't have those wheels. And at least for one series, those wheels are back. Yes. So there we go. We followed up a bad bullpen with a good Luis Roberts defense. 
Let's go to something that I know a lot of people are talking about for the White Sox, and that was the White Sox hitting with runners in scoring position. And if you are aggravated with what you saw over these four games, I don't blame you. The White Sox had the most at-bats with runners in scoring position the opening week at a Major League Baseball. They had 47 at-bats with runners in scoring position in four games, Jim. That, okay, good news. They had that mm-hmm. many opportunities. That is great. They were 11 for 47. That's a 234 batting average. They had six doubles, a home run. They drove in 11 runs in those situations. They walked only once, and they struck out 16 times. They really need to focus on getting the ball into play. They got to really cut down on the strikeout total. Even worse, bases loaded. What? is going on guys over 10 with six strikeouts with the bases loaded and poor Oscar Colas in the, in the win for the white Sox on Sunday bases loaded, nobody out. Here's a prime opportunity struck out. And then Elvis Andrews doesn't do anything. And it's just, <sighs> these are great opportunities to get cheap RVIs guys. You just got to put the ball in play. And the White Sox go 0 for 10. The White Sox had the most at-bats with the bases loaded in Major League Baseball over the weekend. And if you want to circle and go back to the beginning of the show where Jim said this was a good result because they had a chance to win this series, Jim, this is what you circle and why Mm -hmm. the White Sox only won two games in Houston. They had plenty of opportunities to score more runs against the Astros. Give the Astros pitching credit. They make it tough at times. But the White Sox have to fare better, and they got to do a better job with bases loaded. Yeah, no, it's uh, a case where when you're trying to figure out like what exactly went wrong, there you know it went wrong for a lot of different reasons, like Oscar Colas getting worked over inside. Uh, to his credits, like he started figuring that out by the end of the game. Like his first two at bats, they were pounding him in. He was trying to get his A swing off, which, you know, Chris Johnson likes to talk about, like A swings and, you know, uh, your your best possible swing to do damage. He was trying to get it off and they were just not letting him. By the, you know, third and fourth at bats of that game, like he was bringing his hands in inside out in the ball. Like he got a dink double inside third base, got an infield single. Like he responded how they're pitching him and the results started being better. Like he came through with uh, like one of their hits with the runners in scoring position. So like, you know, some of it's rookie inexperience. Elvis Andrews, like, I'm not sure if it's his 2000th hit, like he's really trying to get that and afterwards he'll loosen up a bit or, um, you know, as we talked about in the preview uh, of his position and, you know, his acquisition, just uh, a lot of the damage he did was against lefties and righties. He was pretty much ordinary or even below average against right-handed pitching. And so like, is this going to be a case where like that becomes more pronounced as we watch him for a full season? I also didn't care for, as I mentioned, you know, Grandal and Vaughn being on the base path at the same time, making it hard for one of those doubles to score a guy from first or a single to score a guy from second. So wouldn't mind breaking them up. Uh, and then just, you know, um, you know, Tim Anderson, not you know, failed to come through once, uh, you know, Eloy Jimenez had a really rough first game bounced back in the second game, but you know, he had some bad at bats where like he was like, uh, not anticipating fastballs and swinging through them when they're like basically center cut. So I think probably, you know, some of it's inexperience, some of it's weaknesses against right-handed pitching still. Some of it's probably first series of the season, getting up to game speed, getting sequenced uh, against, you know, teams trying to get you out and counting for their regular season stats. And uh, some of it should, I think, bounce back, you know, to towards normal 
And right now the key is just keep getting those uh, RISP situations because like that's not a bad thing mm-hmm. to have uh, such a high denominator. So keep that denominator up and uh, hopefully the nominator uh, starts looking you know more in, in the lines of like average because if you're average with that many chances, you're doing great. Yeah, if you have if you average 12 at bats with runners in scoring position each game, you have a chance to consistently score five, six, or more runs in a game. Like, yes, continue to do that. You, that's the good news. You're getting yourself into scoring position. They just have to execute with runners in scoring position. And as Jim mentioned, they did a poor job. Elvis Andrews was 0 for 7. That's not helping my stake bet. Luis Robert was 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position. Uh, Eloy, he had a rough first game, but he ended up going three for seven in the series with runners in scoring position. Oscar Colas and Yohan Mikata went one for five. So even though Mikata had a great series, he was just one for five with runners in scoring position. You want to break him up in the lineup, and I totally understand, but Andrew Vaughn was two for three with runners in scoring position. Yes, Money Grandal was two for four with runners in scoring position. So both of those guys, even though they had limited opportunities, they did come through more often than not for the White Sox with runners in scoring position. It's a bit of a sequencing thing because your number nine hitter was tied for the team lead with runners in scoring position at bats for this series with Elvis Andrews. And Eloy is your cleanup hitter. And so that that's a that was an interesting thing when when looking at the numbers. But also the Houston Astros they're having the same conversation, Jim, because they're not covering themselves in glory either with runners in scoring position. They were 11 for 44 with runners in scoring position in the series. They did a better job than the White Sox with the walks. They had six walks in these situations to the White Sox, one. But they also struck out 13 times, and they only had 12 RBI. So down in Houston, they could say the same thing. Like, we mm-hmm. had opportunities too, and we did not convert. And hence, you have a series split. So... Again, maybe I'll go a little too far to say it's a great result the White Sox split in Houston. I think it's a great result because of just this is the house of horrors for the White Sox in recent years. And for them to walk out of Houston, play at an energy level we have not seen from this team in a bit. We definitely did not see it in 2022. For them to come from behind an opening day and be able to get that game late and be able to handle their business on Sunday and get themselves in a position to still win on Friday and Saturday. They went toe-to-toe against the defending world champions, even though they're not 100%. That's still a very good team the Astros have on their home turf. That's a thumbs up. And I think White Sox fans should feel pretty positive heading to the home opener, Jim. Yeah, I I think that's really... We didn't want to see 0-4. We didn't really care to see one and three, but depending on how it you know, shook out, that'd be, uh, they could bounce back from that. But yeah, two and two, like, yeah, it's, it's uh, you put that series behind you. Like uh, when you, when you look at the uh, results at the end of the year and you look at, uh, you know, records versus 500 teams, you look at, you know, records to the AL West and AL East, like it's like that series never existed, which is what you want when you're playing a team like the Astros. So Jim and I are going to take a quick break. That's our series recap of the Houston Astros. Let's talk about the home opener for the Chicago White Sox. That will be later today as they host the San Francisco Giants for a three-game series, the first home series of the 2023 season. We preview it next after a quick word from our sponsor. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all 
Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast as we now preview the upcoming series for the Chicago White Sox as the San Francisco Giants come into town. This is a benefit of the balanced schedule as the White Sox will now play every National League team and they play the Giants early as the White Sox last year in San Francisco shocked us and swept the Giants in San Francisco. Hopefully the Giants do not deliver that same type of payback for the White Sox in Chicago. The Giants ended up losing two out of three in the Bronx against the New York Yankees. And for the White Sox, the pitching probables on Monday. Again, this is a 2.10 p.m. Central Time start. Michael Kopech is making the start. Let me just chime in on the weather real quick here. So with the first pitch being at 2.10, the expected temperature at first pitch is going to be about 52 degrees, partly cloudy. There's a 30% chance of rain. And it's about 30% chance of rain until about 6 p.m. Central Time in Chicago. Well, that'll increase into 50% chance. 7 o'clock is when we are expecting rain in Chicago. There's a 90% chance of rain to hit Chicago at 7 p.m. Central Time on Monday. So something to monitor here as we record this. Things obviously could change with weather as we have seen some volatile weather systems come through the Midwest and in the South uh, these last few days, but that is what the weather is looking like for opening day for the Chicago White Sox. So Michael Kopech, he may get a little sprinkle here and there during his start. But again, that's the reason why the start time has been pushed up to 2:10 p.m. Central time. Wednesday and Thursday look clear for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, Wednesday could be a high of 67 degrees and Thursday is looking to be about 52 degrees and Sonny Dylan Cease will take the ball on Wednesday. He'll go up against the Giants ace Logan Webb. And on Thursday, Lance Lynn will make his second start of the season against Alex Wood, a left-hander for the Chicago White Sox. The thing about the Giants that you need to know about from their opening series against the Yankees in three games, Jim, the Giants struck out 41 times and they were 19 for 98. That's a 194 batting average against starting pitchers I did not know existed for the New York Yankees. Uh, they even had a rookie make the start on Sunday. Obviously, Garrett Cole had an outstanding start. But striking out 41 times in three games, that is a lot, as the Giants offense was quite punchless against the Yankees. I am hoping that tendency to strike out that often carries with them, Jim, to Chicago for this series. Seems like it could. They got shut out twice in those three games. Both their losses uh, were shutouts, which is 
great if, you, if you're looking for, um, <laughs> you know, optimism for your pitchers. But I remember the thing I remember from the series last year is how poorly they defended. And I think it was a little bit like, you know, when you talk about they almost struck me like the National League White Sox, uh, maybe a little bit worse in terms of results, but like kept expecting the team to get better, especially the way they played the year before and just never happened. And you're thinking like, oh, they make a lot of mistakes or just you're reading Grant Brisby or following him on Twitter, following some Giants writers on Twitter talking about like another terrible defensive effort. And, uh, you know, the offense isn't able to compensate for all the runs they're giving up and thinking like they can't be that bad. They played really good, efficient baseball the year before. How bad can they be? And then like, oh, they're bad. Uh, oh, they're th- this team does not function as a team and they have some hard decisions to make. So, uh, that was a pleasant surprise last year um, when the White Sox swept them and just a uh, pleasant realization that, oh, the Giants are a team that uh, will help you beat them. And so I'm hoping, you know, when they seeing them this soon in uh, 2023, that that will carry over in, in terms of like being a team that uh, doesn't play perfect baseball. And, uh, you know, whether it's the strikeouts, whether it's errors, whether it's just uh um, you know, seeing the back end of the rotation because they only played three games against the Yankees, whereas the White Sox played four. So the White Sox turn over the rotation quicker than the uh, Giants do. Uh, could be, uh, you know, could work in their favor. Michael Conforto for the Giants, a very popular name we have talked about the last couple of years on this podcast as the White Sox needed right field help. Went one for 12 against the Yankees with six strikeouts. Jock Peterson did hit a home run, but he was two for 11 in that series with five strikeouts. Brandon Crawford hit a home run. He was three for 11 in that series. He also had five strikeouts. So the Giants, they got some left-handed bats here in this lineup against the White Sox righties. So they have the platoon advantage, but man, if those tendencies carry over against the White Sox pitchers, and we know the White Sox pitchers can rack up strikeouts. We just saw it in Houston. If you are a betting man like myself, Take the over and strikeouts for the White Sox starters, maybe in this series. And it starts with Michael Kopech. We are watching him for the first time in 2023, Jim. Spring training, very unbalanced for Michael Kopech. Sometimes he looked great where you have three perfect innings. Other outings, he's good for an inning. And then the fastball velocity is ranging from 91 to 94 miles per hour. I don't know what to expect, so I'm going to ask you, what are you expecting to see from Michael Kopech for the home opener? I also don't know the specifics of what to expect, so overall I'm expecting like kind of how he looked during the second half of last year where his fastball wasn't always sizzling and he had to scratch through innings in a whole bunch of different ways, using his slider more. Uh, he's been trying to use his change up more in spring training. Like we could see him scrambling a little bit. Um, I'm hoping there's like a little bit of a Mike Clevenger thing to where, you know, that's, that's a bad combination of words. Uh, so I'm hoping there's like a case where it's just like, you know, Gilito too, the same thing where his velocity wasn't great in spring training, but with the adrenaline of a regular season game, like both he and Clevenger were uh, throwing where they normally should be with their fastball. Like Gilito still may be a, tick down from where he was in his peak, but you know, healthier than had been in the previous year. So maybe there's a case where like once the regular season starts, especially like in a spring training where the world baseball classic, um, loomed over everything and showed like, Oh, those are games of stakes. These are, these are nothing. Um, and, and we need fans in the seats and we need three, uh, three tiers in the stadium to, uh, 
to really access our best stuff. Like I'm hoping that's the case with Copac because the spring was really iffy. But um, yeah, I, I'm going to be watching the Statcast data pretty closely, not only in the first inning, but just to see like if he does come out throwing 95 to 97, uh, does that stay? Uh, or does it drop down to 94, 93 in the third, throwing 91, 93 through innings four plus? You know, like that, that's kind of what I'm worried about. Like even if it comes out hot, uh, can he sustain it? Because that was an issue as well. When he did have his best velocity, it didn't last long. Yeah, if he can go five innings, and if he has six strikeouts to one walk, and let's say he gives up like two runs, I think that's great for Michael Kopech in his first start. Uh, if he doesn't get through the fourth inning, as we talked about with the bullpen, that's when I'm going to start getting worried. Uh, and hopefully the bullpen pitches a lot better for the White Sox against the San Francisco Giants. Uh, you got to punch this offense coming from a bad series out of the Bronx against a bullpen that allowed way too many base runners. So <laughs> we'll see. We'll see who improves better between the Giants hitters of the White Sox bullpen. But for Michael Kopech, I, I think the goal again is five innings. Can he get through five innings for the White Sox? And what does the, what do those five innings look like? Because I think Cease and Lynn are going to eat. They, they're going to feast uh, against the Giants lineup in the next two games. So I think Kopech here could be the difference between the White Sox winning this series, winning two out of three to maybe they could sweep the Giants. We'll see. Uh, but for the offensive standpoint, and we talked about not wanting to stack up Andrew Vaughn and Yasmani Grandal, the White Sox are going to see two righties. They're going to see a lefty. Are you expecting a lineup shuffle from Pedro Grafal? I know that he wants to maintain a consistent lineup. But with the hot hands, does he move Makata up in the lineup and maybe have him bat in the top three to continue having his hot bat? Are you expecting any type of lineup shuffling from Pedro Grafal, Jim? I could see Moncada moving up. Like, I, I think if he's hitting fifth or lower, it's kind of a waste uh, with the way he's performing uh, right now. So I would, I'd like to see him hitting, you know, maybe third. You know, a good lefty to have up there. Like, but... I think, you know, the first series is always a little bit tough to measure a manager on, especially a first time manager, just because they're they're always trying to start everybody like Gavin Sheets playing the second game after Andrew Vaughn has a great opening day and just like, oh, we're cooling off Andrew Vaughn by bringing Gavin Sheets in and really just a matter of just wanting to get a guy at least uh, a start for everybody on the roster just to get them involved in the season. So I, I think, you know, this series with an off day, um, two righties and lefty, I'm still not going to count on a whole lot of consistency um, from Griffal. I think by the weekend uh, with the Royal series coming up, that's, that's kind of where I would look at. Um, sorry, they playing the Royal? I'm looking Pirates. At the, Pirates, yeah. I had the, yeah, I was like, that doesn't sound right. And uh, playing two NL teams in a row. Uh, by that weekend series, I, I would imagine you might see a little bit more consistency because I think they are coming off that... Brand new season. Get everybody involved. Uh, now it's all day games, I think, for a while. So that, that also will affect like the catcher rotation and such. So I'm, you know, if he's going to be juggling back and forth, that's fine. Kind of when off days disappear and once you're past the uh, snow out uh, threat and uh, all that kind of stuff, that, that's when I would expect um, some stability to really take place. Yeah, I, I'm going to be curious to see and who gets starts here. We may see Sebi Zavala make the start here on the home opener instead of Yasmani Grandal uh, for the Chicago White Sox, where Sebi gets a second start because Grandal started three of the four games 
in Houston. Uh, and then we'll see what the lineup looks like uh, against another left-handed pitcher. Remember, Valdez is on a different level when it comes to lefties, and no offense to Alex Wood, but he's not on that same level as Framber Valdez, so we'll see on how the White Sox do offensively against the left-hander. Again, for the White Sox here, continue to get those opportunities and runners in scoring position. Hopefully, offensively, they convert more on those opportunities at home in front of the sellout crowd on opening day. And then we'll see what the crowds look like because Wednesday and Thursday are in the afternoon and those games, we'll see if there's 15,000 <laughs> actually uh, attending those games. Yeah. For those attending the home opener, it's just not the time changes you have to be considerate of. So at 2:10 PM central time is the first pitch one thirty. They're doing the player introductions, Jim. They're doing the stupid damn car parade. Have you have you been there for this car parade? I've not been I've not been to a White Sox opening day at uh, a home game. I should say the only opening day I've been to for the White Sox was in Kansas okay. City. The car parade is stupid. <laughs> that's just yeah. That's just how I feel. It's just it's really awkward. But they're doing that, so you get the car parade's gonna start at one thirty. Uh, the gates are gonna open. I think around twelve thirty. Be mindful of traffic, especially if you're heading southbound on the Kennedy. There is construction. So if you're heading southbound, if you live in the northern suburbs, you have to get in the express lane or pray that the express lanes are open because the Kennedy southbound from O'Hare is down to two lanes. Okay, so keep that in mind for those coming from the north. Also, there is a sewer project on Halstead that is blocking off 37th Street. So if you used to take Halstead and 37th right in front of Schaller's Pump to get to Guarantee Rate Field, that's my walking path. That has been cut off because of a sewer project. So those paths, not ideal getting to the stadium. I'm going to recommend if you're going to open day, public transportation is probably your best bet, either the Metra or the L trains. But if you are driving, again, 37th and Halstead, not available. That is blocked off. If you are traveling from the north, southbound on the Kennedy is down to two lanes because of traffic, because of construction. So if the express lanes are open, definitely take the express lanes all the way past Ohio to get through the loop. And then you should be in pretty good shape getting to the stadium and northbound is fine on the construction level. So that's what to expect getting to the home opener. I'll be there. So if you want to stop by in section 108 to say hi, that's where our season tickets are. It'd be great to see you. We'll take lots of pictures. I'll take lots of video. I will be at Cork and Carey sometime in the afternoon now with the time shift, joining Dan Bernstein and Lawrence Holmes for the Bernsey and Holmes opening day show, their remote show for the White Sox home opener on 6 7 the score. Jim, you did an excellent job on Friday, sir. Thank you. So, again, we do have that back into place for Sox Machine Fridays on Bernstein and Holmes. So, if you missed that, you can check it out on 670thescore.com. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Again, a successful weekend. The White Sox are 2 and 2 after Houston. And then we'll have Sox Machine live Thursday night to recap what happened against the San Francisco Giants. We will also have the White Sox wake-up call. It's back this week. We'll be recapping each game of the White Sox. And you got White Sox minor league action going on. We got the Charlotte Knights into play and the rest of the White Sox minor league affiliates 
start play this week. Make sure to subscribe to the Future Sox podcast to listen to Mike Rankin and James Fox break it down. Also, Jeff Cohen, the correspondent down in Charlotte, joins the show. So if you are not subscribed to the Future Sox podcast, you can subscribe to the Future Sox podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. So if you want more content from us, you're getting it, baby. <laughs> it starts this week as we are in full swing. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple Music. You can also listen and watch the South the Sox Machine podcast on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. You can follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. You can also follow us there, the same tags as well on Instagram if you want to check out our opening day photos and videos. If you enjoy work and want more, you can help support us over at patreon.com slash Sox Machine where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. And when we have new Sox Machine swag, you're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2 or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.